0: Hello and welcome to the Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I'm your host and I am very excited to be joined for the first time in over a year in person in the physical Pain Cave by my great friend and co-host, the Fulham Flyer, the Shawangunk Express. He is the Cassie Scallon to my Cassie Lang. Phil Vondra, welcome back into the motherfucking Pain Cave.
1: It is good to be here. I've missed being down in this cave with you. It is uh, it's wonderful. In person see that
0: face you know what else do i need it's amazing i never thought we would get here well that's not true but uh regardless it is so great to to have you back it's i can't say i missed you per se because since we've been running together and everything else but having you here and being able to actually physically share a beer is just a, a fantastic fantastic thing phil We are psyched to be back for another episode of This Month in Ultra Running. We actually, as the country starts to reopen and, you know, the numbers start to drop and and things are happening, we actually got some good stuff to talk about. Some really good stuff, yeah. Racing is back. We have a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to get right into it. But before we do, what are we both sharing and drinking this evening? We are going to drink a Creekside.
1: It's a dry hopped sour and it's uh, made by Westkill Brewing up in the Catskills using uh, Westkill Mountain Water. I'm pretty excited. I do like a good sour, and this is technically called a kettle sour pale ale, dry hopped with Monteca and Mosaic hops. So let's get stuck in. Sounds awesome. All right.
0: Yep. Uh, Westkill, the place the brewery of employment of Jim Sweeney, former guest yeah. and friend of the pod.
1: he did used to work there.
0: I don't think he's still there anymore, though.
1: No, I think he's uh, working somewhere else, brewing up some something rather. So that's good. Here yeah, we are, right. first beer in person in the pain cave
0: in a while. Cheers! Cheers! It's got a nice color.
1: It really does, yeah.
0: Oh, that's delicious.
1: Ooh, very refreshing. It's kind of what I needed after a long day of training and hiking. That is really,
0: really good. So, that's like a sour that's not too sour. Double dry, dry hot. yeah. That's, double dry that's, hot. Great. that's the key. Good stuff. All right, Phil. There is, as I said, a ton, a ton of stuff to get to. And, you know, there, there's a lot of really exciting racing that has been going on over the past few weeks since we last recorded. But the thing that we, I think we need to start with, because I think we're going to wind up spending a good bit of time on it, is the news that came out this week the announcement between, of, the, of the new partnership or the, the new ownership stake between uh, UTMB and Ironman Triathlon, basically. Yep. Uh, which yeah, which is an announcement that has basically sent crazy reverberations through the ultra running world. And, and we want to kind of unpack a little bit. What does this mean for first of all, for UTMB, which I think is, is uh, still a little bit confusing and, and up in the air. But also, what does it mean for the sport in general and, and kind of where it's going? And, you know, we spent some time on this topic this morning on our run. And you know we could go on on for hours about this, but uh, let, let's start let's start a, a little bit actually with with just basically the basics of it. It sounds like Ironman has purchased a minority ownership stake in UTMB, a non-controlling stake, and and the the race is going to still be run by the the same folks who kind of founded it and have run it for the last eighteen yeah. years. But you know what this is going to mean you know, in the short term is a change to the way that UTMB is structured and a change to qualifications and the way to get in. Do you quite have a handle on exactly how this is going to work? Because I don't know that I completely have it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not entirely clear just yet what will happen, but it looks like there will be, you know, this kind of uh, group of races. And the only way to qualify for UTMB kind of going forward will be entering one of these races around the world. And you'll get uh, some kind of, I think it's called a stone, and right, which that is kind of be, like their, their lottery ticket, basically. Yeah, and you will use that to enter the, their lottery. Now, how many you need to go into UTMB, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but it seems like you can only get into UTMB if you're entering their races. So you won't be able to get UTMB points at races
0: outside of their kind of group right so it's setting up some sort of new structure or some sort of new series to kind of build to utmb as no longer as i guess we won't have to kind of qualify it as the de facto world championship of trail running it's going to be at least from utmb's perspective the declared world championship of trail running yeah that's what they're calling it and right so getting into it is no longer going to be based on the itra points or It doesn't seem like it. The way that it it looks like you're going to have to either qualify via performance or via lottery by running these other races. Now, there there was some announcement or some talk in the announcement about varying levels of these these different qualifying races. Mm -hmm. And I'm not 100% sure right now if, you know, what is the procedure for getting into one of the qualifying races or the other races in the UTMB umbrella now, I guess you would call it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's the big question, I guess, is, you know, do you have to start like an entry level on their races and build your stones until you're considered like capable of entering UTMB? So you have to enter maybe two or three of their races a year to kind of get on that ladder to get into their premier race. Right. Um, that's a little unclear. And I guess some of this will unfold over the next few weeks and months.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's an interesting play, I guess, and, and a, kind of a, I don't want to say a predictable one necessarily, but if, if UTMB was going to continue to grow as a both a organizational entity and certainly a, a financial concern, they're pretty much maxed out on what they can do the race week of UTMB. There's, yeah. there's no room in Chamonix or on that course, as far as I understand, for more runners or more crew or anything. I mean, Chamonix is just not that big a town. Um, right. And, yeah, and they're at
1: capacity there. I don't think there's any question about that. Certainly in terms of, uh, you know, not just like accommodation and, and, you know, number of volunteers on the ground, but like impact on trails and town and stuff. I, I think they're they're absolutely maxed out as it is.
0: Right, right. So, right. So basically, in order to increase their revenue, I guess, without increasing their prices necessarily, you know, this makes sense, depending on what kind of cut they're getting or whatever from these satellite races or tour races, you know, basically building out the base of, of this pyramid and, and trying to gain some revenue from races all over the world. I'm unclear yeah. on the relationship that, that UTMB itself will have with, I hesitate to say these qualifier races, but I, I guess that's what they are. They are. You know, but I, I presume that many or most of these other races in the UTMB World Series are going to still be independent events and so what is the what is the relationship beyond just this you know organization into a series or anything like that i i'm not 100 percent clear
1: yeah i would guess there's probably some licensing arrangement so you kind of have the you know the kind of title or you can add it to your race that you're part of this like uh you know race series and and by entering into this race you'll be able to get on the path to getting into uh utmb right or you know the other races there so
0: right so okay, so what I have here from from Trail Runner magazine, uh, um, Doug Mayer had written an article which you know can, gives us a, a few details here. So basically, in order to get into the lottery for the the quote unquote World Series Finals or World Championship week in Shamini, in you need the, you need to either again run your way in by performance, which I'm not sure what that is, or you have to accumulate these these stones or lottery entries. By running in these these other races, so it says here that you can accumulate the uh, you accumulate these stones by participating in a World Series race. It says each World Series race gives a participant one lottery entry, and then the World Series races are split into three different tiers, other than the finals: qualifiers, events, and majors. Right. So you know, obviously of, of increasing prestige. Now, it says here, right, the World Series majors are the flagship races on each continent. Those get you two entries into Chamonix, okay, right or into the lottery. Yeah. Um, and between the majors and the events, we're expecting 30 or 40 races. The qualifiers, they're calling, they're or they're anticipating thousands of races, I, I, right. which, I mean, thousands of races seems like most of the ultra races <laughs> in, yep. the, in the world, basically. Yep. It says... The World Series qualifiers will give, quote, privileged access, end quote, to the World Series events and World Series majors. Each World Series race gives a participant one lottery entry. The majors give them two stones. So, Mm. right, I guess one question is do do these qualifiers also get you a stone or do you need these qualifiers just to get into these other races? Like, is it going to be possible? Let's say, for example, that... Lavaredo is a major or something like that. Yeah. Can I go run Lavaredo without doing without a doing a qualifier to get into it now, or have clear. we just have we just created a an entire ecosystem worldwide of basically Western states for every important trail race in the world? Because honestly, that would suck.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's going to make it hard for people to get into the you know into UTMB unless they're part of this like uh, you know process of getting these stones. Right
0: right yeah so some some interesting stuff still to come there at least in as far as how the qualification works let's talk a little bit about the impact that we think this might have first on the race itself and then kind of just maybe not the impact that this has or, or the impact or what this says about the sport in general and the impact it might have on other races Let, let's talk first about the race. And, and what we think this means. They've said that, again, that the original race directors are, are staying on and, and will still maintain control of this race. Iron Man is supposedly not branding the race. You know, what do you think this means for elites? And then what do you think this might mean for kind of the rank and file? I mean, we've talked a little bit about what it means in terms of just getting in uh, for people like you or I, but let's say you're in, what do we think, what do we think this kind of means for race day? Or for the race experience?
1: I mean, I think the race experience will be probably fairly similar. I mean, very similar. I just think that probably, you know, the elite end of the field will be probably even deeper. Because I think there's going to be more prize money across the races and deeper prize money across the races. And also, as it becomes, you know, uh, I think people consider it the World Championships anyway. But I think with this sort of weight behind it, it's really going to have a... even more prestige than it already does. So I think at that end of the race, I think it's it's probably pretty good, you know. But I think right. it's more the other end of the race that it's
0: where it's kind of a gray area as to how it will kind of pan out there. Right. Right. And and you would think that in addition to more prize money, this brings more exposure. This brings more media. This brings maybe more sponsorship all good for pro dollars. Athletes, yeah. All good for the pros. Yeah. I, I think, you know. In general, anytime we're going to have an infusion of interest and or cash into the sport, it, it's going to be great for the pros. The, the involvement, uh, let, let, me, let me start by saying this, which we talked about this morning uh, on our run. I, I'm very much not against corporate interest and corporate investment in the sport. I think, you know, as, as a general principle, I think bringing money into the sport, bringing interest into the sport is great. And there are corporations that have done this very, very well while still maintaining the essence of trail running, uh, the essence of ultra running. Uh, We've talked many times, just uh, offline and in the show, about the success of the North Face uh, Trail trail Challenge. And, and not just the North Face Championship in San Francisco, which was, you know, the premier or one of the premier events mm-hmm. uh, yeah. at 50 miles and, and really kind of became the, end, the the real end of the year championship for, for North American ultra running, which is uh, what they set out to do. But even the satellite events, we had, you know, we had the opportunity to run at Bear Mountain uh, yeah. for what was the initial race on the schedule most years, mm-hmm. multiple times, and they they did a nice job. Like North Face is a big brand and you know, they could have turned it into you know, a corporate schlockfest, but yeah, totally. they they generally had their crap together. They put on a good race. The yep. course was you know, challenging but good uh, both for the 50k mm-hmm. and the 50 mile. You know, it had a cool finish line scene. It had yeah, a vibe. Yeah. It it was not it, it didn't seem overly branded or overly corporate. Yeah. Um so and and it did it was able to despite being a large race, to maintain mm. somewhat of a I don't want to say grassroots feel, but a um, you know, it had the feel of a of a good, strong mm. ultra yeah and and I did not think overly branded or corporatized in any way. so yeah the the like i said the the infusion of corporate money and corporate interest is not inherently a bad thing. Having said that, is this corporation? going to be problematic in this space because, and, and having had no personal opinion or having had no personal interaction with Ironman as a triathlete or anything like that, but, you know, kind of know, reading the, the uh, coverage and, and following their sport and speaking to many people who have, you know, done Ironman in, in our area, it does not seem like the kind of company that is going to give a shit about ultra running. I
1: think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I think the real problem here is who they partnered with. I think they could have partnered with someone else and maybe wouldn't have quite the kind of pushback that's happening. I mean, Iron Man kind of has a bit of a bad reputation. They haven't treated athletes very well. Um, they have an army of uh, pit bull lawyers. Um, you know, they're not, they just don't, doesn't sit well, I think, in the ultra running community, and and that's possible that changes. But the bottom line is, Ironman's owned by a Chinese hedge fund. Right. You know, their bottom line is is to produce revenue, to produce money. You know, they are very very focused on profit. Right. Like that's that's their number one focus. There's right. no there's no question about that. And I don't know how that sits in the ultra community. Well, I, I think I do know actually. it Doesn't sit very well. Right. And that's the the kind of pushback that's occurring. I I, I think it's kind of you know, not a relationship that I would like to see UTMB going into. I'd like to see them going in with someone else. Um, but, you know, I could be wrong. I mean, I, 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 I don't think it's good, but let's see what happens to some extent.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, you spoke about the reputation that they have and I think has been borne out in recent years where they are not the – you know, customer service organization no, that perhaps no. they, that we feel we would like or, or deserve. And, you know, they're not cheap. I mean, what does this no. mean for the the cost of the experience? Like you said, you know, the, the bottom line is the bottom line for them and yep. and, and nothing else. I mean, it, don't, don't be concerned about whether or not Ironman gives a crap about the sport of ultra running. Mm. They, they probably don't really give a crap about the sport of triathlon beyond the, you know, the sense of what it can do for yeah. them financially and I, I don't think i don't think it started that way but like you said it's it's owned by a hedge fund now it, yeah. it is an asset yep um, and it's an investment
1: you know yeah. and and they've looked into this this business and they're like can we make money out of this good money can we
0: make more money going forward so that's their focus right right so i, th- I think we we have legit like many many other people online i think we have legitimate concerns about what this will mean for the race experience at not just UTMB, but any of these other series races, is it going to be, is it going to get away from the, the kind of, you know, the, the essence of the sport, I guess, you know, how, what is this going to mean in terms of entry fees? What is this going to mean? I mean, already in terms of, you know, the qualification system, it's going to mean spending a lot more money to get into UTMB than it did before, maybe, yeah, you
1: know? I think one of the things that remains strong in, like, the, the trail and ultra community is, like, you know, kind of running these small races, like, you know, hanging with good groups of folks, with good RDs, good courses, like, really embracing the environment. I think that people that enter Ironman races are all about saying to people, hey, I, I'm an Ironman. I ran an Ironman. You know, so they they, they kind of don't give a crap about the vibe or the atmosphere. It's more like, you know, I got my $10,000 bike. I'm like, you know, I got my dot tattoo. Um, whereas I think the trail running community is different. So I think certainly in the U.S. And I think one of the things is how's the U.S. and rest of the world, what's their sort of take on their trail running community? But I think the U.S. is, you know, people are really into trail running because of the community. I think it's a, a huge part of it. And if that changes, you know, that that won't be good. I mean, it, people will only enter races where there's like kind of, you know, a good, a good kind
0: of community feel to the race. Right. And that, that kind of spins us a little bit, I guess, into – you know what does this mean for other races and for the sport in general? One thing that we talked about uh, and and has been pointed out is there are no races in the U.S. at least yet that have been announced for as World Series majors or World Series events or anything like that. Yeah, uh, you know that's a, a pretty glaring omission at this point that I think was mm, um, yep. that I think was noticeable to a lot of people. I, I mean, there's there's multiple events in China which is obviously a big market that UTMB has yeah. had success with and now partnering with, like we said, a, a Chinese-owned company. Uh, I'm sure that's, uh, not, that's not an accident. But the, the decision at this point, I, I don't want to say it's a decision, uh, but the optics at this point of not having a, a series race or an event or major within the U.S. are, I don't know... <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, if they want U.S.
1: elite athletes now, whether a U.S. elite athlete will be able to just get a straight up entry in there without doing any qualifying race, I'm not entirely sure. But you got to think with the depth of ultra running in the U.S., they're going to need to have U.S. runners there to make it a World Championships.
0: Right. Right. And, There's and no and, question. Right. So, I mean, that that's that's the first thing I wanted to mention was right. So, it, it's going to be hard to gauge the effects of, of this announcement and this restructuring on the U.S. or the North American ultra scene until, you know, it's been determined whether or not there will be any U.S. races. I mean, I think uh, Catherine Pelletti, one of the, the, or half of the couple that founded and continues yep. to direct this, I mean, she she made some significant waves when she was quoted, you know, about this, uh, when asked about that there are no North American events. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read this quote. Um, American trail runners do not understand trail running the same way we... In parentheses, we Europeans do. End quote. Um, that that's. um I mean, I think understandably has been kind of taken as uh, a bit of a. Yeah,
1: I don't. I don't really understand like fully what she was kind of getting at there. I'd like a little clarification on it. But it's a bit of a weird statement, and maybe something's lost in the
0: translation.
1: I don't. I don't quite know.
0: Right. Um, right. I. I, I mean, that, that word "understand" is obviously doing a lot of work there. And and right. Maybe maybe what she means is that. You know, a better way to phrase it might have been, you know, Americans have a great trail running tradition, but their conception of trail running is very different from that that we have in Europe. Yeah, I mean, it might also be. Therefore, none of the races seem to match up at this time. Yeah, I mean, to say to say understand, like you said, that that may be a little lost in translation, Mm. but you know, that's um, (laughs) you know, that that's a little bit odd. Given given the place that really American runners have have held at UTMB and and yeah. other races around the world in in the last several years and yeah. and also given the the inclusion of American races, including Western states, on the the former UTWT, the the Ultra Trail World Tour, which is what this new series is is replacing, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's a backhanded or or, or a little kind of behind the scenes snap back at Western States if there's something going on there between the mm. Western States board and, and UTMB. I, I can't imagine yeah. they, they're terribly psyched with what's going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it could also be something like, you know, a lot of American trail running races are, are, are kind of like grassroots type thing. You know, like... They're kind of more low-key. They're kind of more chilled. You know, a lot of them not, don't have these big sponsorship arrangements, whereas the European scene's a little bit more jazzy. You know, it's just, like, lots of sponsorship everywhere, uh, you know, big banners and stuff. And a lot of these these trail races are kind of like, you know, rock up to the car park, pick up your number, right? Um, you know, off you go kind of thing. It's not too much, like, you know, branding and sales kind of stuff going on. It's just, yeah, show up, get your number on. Check in and, and and off you go, right, so they're a little more low key, so maybe that's what she means, but I'm not really sure. Um,
0: yeah, I'm a
1: glass half full guy, you know,
0: okay, fair enough and and again, I'd like to give her the benefit of the doubt, but um I, right it's it, it was <laughs> it wasn't the most uh diplomatic statement when you know discussing the fact that you just made this enormous announcement that is bound to change the future of our sport mm. and you know it pointedly does not have any American races in it. It didn't seem like the most diplomatic way to explain that away. Yeah. Um, unless, right, we're just missing exactly what the meaning of that is. Anyway, like I said, it's going to be hard to assess exactly what the the impact is going to be on, on races on these shores. Yeah. But, I I mean, I have to imagine, I mean, you know, this consolidation and, and corporate um, entrance into the sport is... I think on balance going to be a good thing in terms of the health of the sport and and certainly for the elite competitors. But, uh, you know, consolidation and corporate influence can't be a good thing for grassroots races out there.
1: Not really, unless it pushes people to those races. You know, people who have a bad experience, these big kind of like races where you're kind of herded around and kind of told exactly where to be at what time. And, you know, I think a lot of these smaller races, you're kind of treated like an adult. You know, it's kind of like, right, here's the start. Be there on time. If you're not there, the bus is gone. The race is started. You know, there's no kind of hand-holding. It's a little bit more like, you know, here are the race instructions. It's your responsibility. Get on with it. You know, I think people will still have
0: a strong tendency towards those um right now so and i agree i think this may drive a little bit of a kind of a rededication to the roots you know to say it in that way people may you know really seek out some different experiences some people may say you know the hell with utmb i'm probably not getting in at this point anyway if i have to go to another country to run a qualifier race you know and, and maybe they'll they'll kind of seek out some more local events and, and you know, many of the great grassroots events that are out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's there's tons of good events. I, I think this announcement to me really is about the partner. You know, I think that there is going to be growth in sport. There is going to be change. But I think the choice of partner based off their reputation historically is not a good choice. It's actually, you know, a lot of the Iron Man kind of, uh, you know, antics, if you like, is is basically opposed to pretty much everything in trail running, so it's a it's a it's a kind of odd fellow partnership in in my opinion, and that's kind of the key to all of this for me, and I think for a lot of people, you know, right, right.
0: It, another effect that it's going to have on on smaller races, it's you know, it is going to. I I don't think there's any way around the fact that it's going to draw more elites into these races if this is going to be the main way of getting into. UTMB going forward, yeah, and that's going to just make it hard for smaller races to attract elites and, frankly, to grow. Um, I think yeah. for, I, I hate to say this, but, and, and I, I do think, like I said, I, I don't think the, the, you know, at a grassroots level, the sport is endangered by this. Mm. Um, and I think plenty of small races will continue to thrive, but that's going to be limited mm. in scale. Like, yeah. it's going to be very hard for a new race to get the the exposure and the and the press from elites coming in and running fast races i, yep. I mean that's it, definitely a downside some, there, something for sure. something new to come on the scene like cayuga trails and suddenly yep. pull in elite races or or you know lake sonoma mm-hmm. um which is yeah. you know a much younger race than we remember it's it's yep. only been around for probably 15 years yeah um i'd have to go back and look but you know that that those days might be over of putting a new race on the calendar and within a couple of years having it be one of the races that everyone in the country is talking about. That's going to be very, very hard to do to get enough elite, no, uh, enough of so an sure. elite field for a new race when their, their schedules are going to be, I think, monopolized in large part by, yeah. by these sorts of races. Yep. And, you know, and then the other... Sponsors are pr- going to
1: expect them to go to these races because yeah.
0: they're high-profile. Exactly. So it's
1: like, yeah, you can't go to these kind of smaller but kind of fun, cooler races. Right. It's, it's right. definitely possible No, we that say happens. it.
0: This brings in a lot more sponsorship. This brings in a lot more opportunities yeah. for, for elites. But that comes at a, at a price, right? Yeah. I mean, sponsors Just want something for that investment. Yeah, um, to be at a big-name race and be exactly, on the start right.
1: line. And, you know, I'm sure with the budget behind these kind of races, the media coverage is going to be bigger. You know, you're going to have the drones flying, the Course. on-course runners with the GoPros, you know, that kind of thing.
0: So. Right right yeah that's definitely a downside and then what does this mean the last question i would have is the what does this mean for the relationship to the extent that there is one between utmb and western states uh which you know western states is not going to go quietly into the night as Mm. you know being one of the two most important races in the world i think for for most trail ultra fans you know how are they going to be involved in this if at all and if not you know is, the, is that going to change what, you know, what we usually see in terms of the fields at Western States, which rival that of any race in the world, including UTMB? Yeah. Um, if That's going to be they're very not interesting. Involved in this, I mean, they have, the Western States has balked in the past at being a, a UTMB qualifier when, you know, with the, with the old point system. Mm. Um, and I think it's just because they don't like having that financial element to it. Uh, and you know needing to make a financial commitment to UTMB to get those, that that you know qualifier designation. Um, yep. So uh, I can't imagine that they're going to be more excited to do it now. That I'm that my guess is it just got a lot more expensive. So how does this affect what elites do when choosing between qualifying events in Western states? It's you know, the calendar yeah. is getting more and more crowd. I mean, you know, the only reason Jim is in Western states this year is because Comrade was comrades was canceled the calendar just gets more and more crowded all the time. And there's only so many elites to go around and, and you know, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out.
1: Yeah. I think that's the next thing we're looking for, right? Is the announcement from Western States, see what they think of this, uh, this new partnership.
0: Right. Right. Um, More questions and answers, I think is the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, uh, that's, that's plenty of talk. We just, you know, and we, like I said, we could go on this stuff all day in terms of the, the reverberations that this will have, but Um, We should move on and and talk um, some some really cool racing that we've seen in the last few weeks since we last had a chance to to pod. I think the place to start when we talk about race results and and the big news that's been coming out the last couple weeks would be uh, Canyon. Speaking of Western states, the last golden ticket race, which replaced uh, Lake Sonoma for this year since that got pushed back to September, Um, really great fields in canyons for both the men and the women and some really great racing. Uh, I told you not to sleep on Max King. We looked at that start list a few days early and I said, I gotta say Max has been running well. I like, I like what I've been seeing from him on Instagram and, uh, he seems to be in really good shape. I mean, it was just a few weeks before that he did a, a 10 miler up in Bend, which is where he's from. And I know he's done multiple times. And, uh, he broke the course record for a 10 mile trail run, you know, wearing jean shorts as he usually does at that race, you know, breaking a course record that he hadn't even held before had been held by some other great runners. I think Ryan back, uh, who had come through at that point. And, uh, you know, at 40 or 41 years old, whatever max is now to, um, I think he's 41 to be able to run, you know, the fastest you've ever run on a hard 10 mile trail. In a race that you've run several times before when you were younger, uh, it spoke well, and and he turned in a great performance behind only, uh, I think, your pick, Anthony Costales. Yeah,
1: he was, uh, I think, what, 12 minutes behind him, but he also took a wrong turn as well. He added a little bit of extra... Yeah. Uh, to his race yeah it sounded and, like
0: without max's wrong turn that was going to be within five minutes three to five minutes yeah. i think at the finish
1: yeah and i think i mean max didn't actually get into second place until i think about a mile from the finish so he i think was uh coming in pretty hot towards the finish based off the fact that he'd taken a wrong turn he was uh about to miss on that ticket and uh, that that did not happen which is good cause it's gonna be great to see him at states yeah
0: yeah so it sounded like the, the racing was pretty hot up front, as usual, yeah. and, and it was pretty packed up for a while. I know Max and, and Anthony were running together with uh, Noah Brodigan from Salt Lake, who, mm-hmm. who ultimately came in third. I know Cole Watson was up there before he faded. Patty O'Leary, I think, was near the front early on, although didn't have the best day. I think uh, he, had, he had struggled with some heat. And, uh, yeah, I mean, very cool to see. I, I mean, you know me. I'm a huge Max fanboy. Just mm-hmm. so cool to see him running at the top of his game here um at 41 years old and and going to be going back to to western states for the the second second time i believe yep a course record for uh, Anthony and, and third at all time for Max, although the course was different this year. Um, yeah, it was
1: different. They had to had to make some changes. It was like a kind of
0: out and back or something, I think, this time? No, no normally it's an out. Normally, I think it's a oh. double out and back. It starts yeah, and so finishes in Forest Hill. I think you go into the canyons and turn around and come back, and then you right. go down to the river and turn around and come back. Uh, this year, they needed to do point to point because they couldn't have everybody staging in the same area. Right. Okay, yeah,
1: that's right. Uh, yeah. So they
0: ran a lot of basically the course in reverse. Um, which meant that it was, you know, as, as much or more climbing than, than than last time. So I don't know if those are going to really count as course records, but uh, some pretty impressive times for difficult 100, 100K trail race. The women's side was basically a clinic by Beth Pascal.
1: She took it out there, right? She went out fast.
0: She went out fast. She, she said it was basically controlled. She didn't think yeah. she was being all that aggressive. Um, she said she felt great. I mean, she was challenged early on, I guess, by a couple of, of folks. I think, uh, I think Abby Hall was up there Abby early. Hall, Audrey Tangay, yeah. Emily Hallgood,
1: yeah. But I think.
0: Um, but I mean, it sounded like Beth was just in control all day long. Yeah. And uh, she also made a, a wrong turn near the finish. She did. Yeah. Apparently, she finished ahead. Of, she said that Paddy O'Leary was ahead of her,
1: and then when she crossed the finish line, he was behind her. So right. she knows she took a wrong turn. So she ran back out onto the course did the correct course and then came in. And they, she said that cost her like three to four minutes, I think. So she would have been right. under 10 hours. She would have been
0: under 10 hours. And um, even with that wrong turn, she still had a, a nearly a 30-minute or more than a 30-minute margin of victory over Abby Hall. Yeah, um, yeah so it was a, a very impressive run by her. Yeah, really, really great. She already had the golden ticket. Uh, so um, And did Abby also already have a golden ticket? I think she did
1: she did um actually no she didn't audrey, audrey had the other one right had a golden ticket that's right
0: so abby took abby took um second place in and and the the first golden ticket audrey was third uh just a, f- a couple minutes behind and was already in the race so fourth uh and the second golden ticket rolled down to emily Hoggood. yep the 26 year old from i think zimbabwe who lives zimbabwe, in the us correct. Yep. And I think this was her third try this year at a it Golden was. Ticket. Yeah.
1: that's. I'm so glad she got one. I mean, that's like seriously uh, getting after it. You know, 300K races in a pretty short space. Yeah. Good for her.
0: Yeah. Finishing, I think, one spot out of the Golden Ticket at Bandera. Yep. And then I think just a couple spots. I think she was sixth or seventh at Black Canyon. Yeah. Uh, and then to come back and, and still get it uh, here yeah. at Canyons in, in another in a great field. Again, really impressive uh, she's coached by I think Cody Lind or Cody Lind's dad, who coaches. That's correct. Um, yep. Same coach for uh, Brittany Peterson, right? That's co- right. Yes, yep. exactly. That's what I thought. So, um, yeah, we'll you know we'll talk much much more about Western states and the, and the fields on both the men's and the women's side as it gets closer. It's coming um, up, but it's not far uh, away. a lot of uh, a lot of foreigners with a good chance. You know, if you if you count, I mean, I know Emily lives in the U.S., but um, you know, she's she's not an American. And, and uh, Beth Pascal, who was fourth yeah. in 2019, is going to be one of the favorites for sure. I mean, Audrey, a very experienced runner, and she's got a really good shot. Um, and there's a couple others, I think. It's going to be very interesting um, Definitely. when State rolls around. I think um, around.
1: Beth Pascal is, like, based over here now. She's staying over until Western State. I think she's going to be primarily in Flagstaff and right. then going to head over to California in a bit. So
0: Very cool. Uh, Another big race recently that we had alluded to in our last pod was the uh, Jackpot Ultra Running Festival, which was once again the U.S. road championships for the 100 miles, which is worth probably not much. But this year was worth something because uh, some big names came out again, both the men's and the women's side. These were, you know, the jackpot, again, has been the the national championships for a few years now, but has never pulled uh, fields like this. Um, Yeah. Never run in April either. I think normally isn't it January or February? I think it's usually in
1: February. Yeah, just yeah. so a little, a little cooler, but yeah. So a that sculpture. that was
0: unfortunate because right, uh, April in Las Vegas is not you know late April in Las Vegas <laughs> yeah. is probably not Toasty. the most conducive for for fast ultra running. It got hot, we got very hot there. I, I think, think it got up to eighty nine or ninety degrees. Yeah. yeah, you know, it was I mean, very very hot. It can be a dry heat, but uh, you know, yeah, it's still <laughs> it's still, still gonna gonna fucking hot. You. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of carnage because of that heat, including the men, the early men's leader, Raj Panu, who uh, we, we at least you and I, I think, learned about for the first time at the Hoka Carbon X2 project where he came he in second. He went off hard,
1: I think, in this race. I mean, he, he went out, you know, really hard. And, unfortunately, I think just the heat got to him, so uh, kind of... Yeah, it was interesting. He was
0: was turning a lot of fast laps, and then he had, you know, looking back at the splits, right around 50 miles, he had a couple of, like, 20-minute miles, and then, you know, and then it looked like he was off the course, which I think he was, Mm -hmm. and I thought he dropped. And then, like, an hour or two later, he came back on, and all of a sudden started running, like, 740s again for, like, 10 more laps, and then was done after that. So, yeah, I mean, just a battle for him. Yeah. You know, for his first hundred, only his his second ultra ever, I think. But, uh, you know, certainly had some designs Definitely on a fast to watch. time. But yes, for sure, for sure. And, uh, you know, the men's race really turned into, after after Raj dropped, it was basically just a, a clinic by Zach Bitter. Yeah, uh, he was, was out front, way out there. I mean, was basically had like an 8 to 10 mile lead at one yeah. point, I think. <laughs> and really ran onto a, a very impressive performance, given the conditions. Yeah, I
1: mean, he won by over an hour, right? I mean, 12.52, uh, Jake Jackson, second 1412, and then Pat Regan, uh, 1451. So, those guys suffering because they're faster than those kind of times on their days, right?
0: Sure. I mean, you know, we were at Brazos obviously yeah. when Pat ran, uh, something in the 1240 range, I believe 1248, yeah. maybe. And Jake certainly, uh, has been under 14 hours in the past, I think down to 1330, mm-hmm. um, and, and probably can go faster, is my guess. So, yeah, I mean, it was that was a Again, a clinic by by Zach, who is, I think, unquestionably the the best U.S. um, road 100-miler probably in history at this point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, really took care of business pretty easily there, uh, despite the heat. You know, he's very diligent about his heat training, too. Like, I I know he'll—like, if he's getting ready for a hot weather race, he'll basically just go out on the track with no— shade or anything like that yep. in the middle of, like in the middle of the day and yeah. do like 20 mile long run just on the track just wow. to get the heat. You know, it's, it's pretty nuts. The women's side, uh, also great field. Yeah. Three members of the upcoming uh, US 24 hour national team uh, on the, on the line and were are kind of mixing it up. Uh, Camille Heron, the world record holder for 24 hours and a hundred miles out hard as usual did struggle with the heat, did struggle with uh, stomach and, and vomited, dropped all the way back to fourth at one point and was battling with a couple other women, and that opened the yep. door for uh, Stephanie Flippin. Yeah,
1: it's uh, one I don't I don't know about, but for, uh, yeah, she had a solid race, fourteen thirty five. I think that's uh, a course record
0: for that one. So uh, yeah, pretty uh, pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it, it looked like she kind of came from behind a little bit. I think yeah. she picked up the pace when the weather got cooler and ran away from you know, some much more well-known, uh, runners in the field. Yep. Um, Camille wound up battling with, uh, Marisa Lizak, the uh, American record holder at 20, at uh, 48 hours and with Micah Morgan. And, uh, Actually, rallied back for second. Uh, yeah. I think I think it was pretty close between Camille and Mike in third, Maurice and fourth. I, I I feel like they were all within five minutes of each other. Yeah,
1: their times are pretty tight. I think that Camille managed to just uh, shade it into second. It's probably that uh, that beer that she had at some point and her tacos or whatever her her race strategy is. Look,
0: I give <laughs> I, I give Camille more shit than probably anyone. Certainly than I give to anyone on this show. And uh, you even know. more than me. All right, second most. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But look, I I, I got to hand it to her for this. I mean, not yeah. not not a great performance yeah. by her standards, obviously. But um, you know, but she doesn't has, mind a DNF every now and then, that's, right? Uh, she has struggled with finishing races so, when yeah, things don't go well. So uh,
1: maybe she's going to get back in your good books now. Maybe you and her are going to sit down and have a beer and work it out together.
0: It has. Uh,
1: it's possible, right? Nothing's impossible.
0: <laughs> let's see. Let's. See. I mean, look,
1: if you, Tim, B, and Iron Man are going to get together, I'm sure you and Camille can figure things out. You know. <laughs>
0: um yeah yeah i don't know well, yeah sure sure it's 2021 phil anything I'm can positive. happen. Right? anything can happen we're, we're vaccinated we're drinking beer in the pain cave anything can happen
1: i think whilst we are talking about um zach and his 100 mile running we could mention the 100 mile track World record being broken the same or pretty close to when he was out there. Actually, it was whilst he was crushing in in Las Vegas. I think it was the same same weekend, right? Yeah. Just allow on time zones, I guess, is (laughs) the only
0: difference. (laughs) Right, right. At the Centurion 24 Hour uh, in in England, right? Yep. Um,
1: Alexander Sorokin. Yep, the world 24 Hour champion. Yep.
0: Uh, 100 mile track record 11.14. Pretty, pretty, Fastest 100 mile ever run on any surface. Breaking Zach's world record uh, of 11, 19, 13. so nearly nearly uh, or a little over four minutes to take that record down. Uh, that's that's a hell of a performance. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no <laughs> there's no two ways about and it. I think it's during he broke the twelve hour world record as well one oh five. Yes, he, he, con- he continued on and uh, again breaking Zach's same record. Yeah, or, uh, breaking Zach's record from that same race, which he yeah. did it at Six Days in the Dome in I want to say twenty eighteen.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a run.
1: Amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely incredible. Uh, some of it was, and it was fairly well covered as well. I mean, it had some good kind of live stream to watch. It was uh, it was pretty uh, pretty good fun watching it.
0: Yeah, it's got to suck for Zach, though, to uh, come across the line winning the uh, national championship and be told that your world record just got broken. <laughs>
1: yeah. I feel he's the kind of guy that took it well, though. You I'm, know? Sure. He's I'm just, sure. He's a competitor. He knows that these things, records are uh, kind of only borrowed, never owned.
0: Also, you know, good news and bad news for your pick for 2021 Ultra Runner of the Year. The early Taggart? leader, The early leader in the clubhouse yeah. on Phil's ballot, Taggart Van Etten.
1: <laughs> yeah, new 100-mile treadmill record. That's a, that's a fun old day.
0: Yep, so that's the good news. 11 uh, hours
1: 32 on the treadmill.
0: Yep, 11.32.
1: I mean, I will say in his defense, I mean, I you know, I wasn't that concerned about this, this treadmill running business, but he did it in a pub. So that has a little bit of a different kind I'm of feel to it you know like <laughs> so you're now there in a head. bar you've got interested. the soccer games on TV you've got the treadmill running you've got unlimited <laughs> beer and food and things are starting to look good i'm not sure how far i'd make it um you know would you like another glass of water or a, a double IPA <laughs> things could go real bad for me but uh, yeah so yeah congrats to him that was uh, impressive stuff
0: yeah yeah sure um right i mean uh, again Given all the great running that went on, and and this came a week after the mm. the world record was lowered, uh, so you know maybe took a little bit of the shine off of that, but uh, yeah, no, still a great race. And now we can you know talk now that it's been announced. Uh, you know uh, Taggart, after we talked about why is he running a hundred miles on a treadmill, you know on our last episode, had messaged me and told me that this was a prelude to a world record attempt at Six Days in the Dome. So Taggart will be at Six Days in the Dome in I think that's in July, and he was targeting. Zach's world record of 119. I guess he's got a new target. Got a now. new target now, yeah. Uh, so it makes it a little bit harder from that perspective, and yeah, yeah, we'll see. Look, I mean, he's uh, got a chance. I mean, you know, sure. he's he's shown he's got some some legs on him. Oh, sure.
1: So sure. Uh, let's see what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, again, this this treadmill world record, it's nice. It's gr- and we're we're psyched for him. It's great. Congratulations, Taggart. I'm yeah. You know, I, I, I'm. It was fun to follow along, and, and it's great to see uh, that he's still healthy and, and that this, this is paying off. Um, but, uh, but yeah, let's see what happens at six now days. Now he's going to mix it up with the big boys, basically. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, now now yeah, we're we'll going to step into the big leagues, and I, I'm sure he'll win the 100 if he's you know, anywhere near his, his form at, Oh yeah, at totally. six days. But, uh, yeah, if he starts challenging these, these track world records – then it's time to start being like, wow. Um, yeah. And, and then we'll see. I mean. New kid on the block, right? If he, exactly. If
1: he, depending on how he does it, six days in the dome. Be interesting. Exactly.
0: Exactly. A uh, couple other quick hits before we go. We wanted to mention uh, things starting to wake up a little bit on the East Coast. We had U rock within the last couple of weeks. Uh, yep. Friend of the pod, Eliza Lapierre, former guest, winning for the women. Winning that one. That was good. Yeah. And David Hedges for the men. Yep, who I think we've talked about once or twice before but you know we have mentioned him, yeah. Yeah. I mean good good wins there. U Rock is a, a source of consistent disappointment to me. Like yeah. When we, just to go back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of being a new race and you know establishing some sort of reputation They've or struggle struggled
1: to take off really. I mean,
0: it, it, and I don't know, honestly, I don't know what the issue is. I don't know if it's because they're mostly, they've mostly been based on the East Coast and they have trouble bringing the people out or, but you know, it, it didn't do any better when it was, you know, really in in the backyard. I think it was in Auburn one year, uh, which, you know, you're not going to get a better location than that for attracting great trail runners. And it just, there's something about it that they get, they get good fields. They get good kind of second tier elites and, and some First-tier elites too, I mean, when it first started, Jeff Rose was one of the original winners, yep. maybe the, the first winner. I mean, Tyler Siegel has won it. Um, yep. You know, Eliza, obviously, uh, an all-time great. Uh, Amanda it, Basham. Amanda Basham, exactly. Uh, but it, it doesn't get the depth of fields that maybe we would Especially we when would you
1: like. have a name like Ultra Race of Champions. Yeah. You know, I think it's better to be called UROC. Mm.
0: And I just don't know what, what's missing there. I don't, I like I said. Hard to know. I, without having run it before or had any. I mean, the people that we know who have run it have good things to say. Laura had great things to say about it and seemed like the directors were responsive and, and you know, committed to it. And I, I'm i not sure why it hasn't yeah. taken off. But still, a, a good early season race and, and good performance from Eliza, who, yeah. you know, I hope is is rounding her. into form for the this, yeah. this summer. That'll be great. That's great. Big news this past week was the Cocodona 250. I'm going to sit back and let you yeah. run this conversation because... And, well, and then I'll give my thoughts at the end. I, I did not follow what was admittedly amazing coverage nearly as closely as you did.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, the first thing I'm going to say is the coverage was outstanding. I mean, absolutely incredible. Drones, people running on the course. Uh, they had, uh, you know, two guys doing like a, a commentary, doing about sort of 14 hours worth of commentary a day. And then as Michael Versteegh was coming in, the winner, they basically went to 24 hours worth of commentary. Um right. You know, they followed him. It was it was a perfect finish because he finished like as the sun was rising, I and mean, it was absolutely incredible. And then uh, Maggie Guterl winning for the women. Um, yeah, this this is going to be a real fun race on the scene going forward, I think, because the the, su- the scenery out there is stunning. I yeah. mean, going through Sedona and these mountain passes, yeah. I mean, it absolutely looks incredible. Super well organized. I mean, Aravipa are just kind of I mean, pushing on the it. envelope on it right in terms now, right? of. Like a, a bigger kind of organization organizing races that still have a really good kind of grassroots feel to them. The coverage is good. The excitement's good. It's just yeah, they've they've kind of nailed this thing, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, th-
0: in in terms of ultra running media and race direction, they are they are at the forefront in the u.s certainly, and and yeah
1: Jamil's Jamil's really doing a lot of good stuff for the sport really really interesting i mean one of the things i saw today was the person that finished last i think they were 125 hours race andre lee the guy's name is they formed like a human tunnel for him to come through like clapping him in at the finish i mean just what a nice kind of the very last racer on the course there were a ton of people waiting around to see him in that's awesome that's a great vibe right there right i mean that's that's just absolutely fantastic they care about the first people and they care about the last people i mean that's yeah super super impressive i'm i'm excited and maybe maybe we have a trip
0: down to arizona well so okay look i I love arizona i would love to go sedona is gorgeous let's go for a, a training weekend in sedona but i don't i mean do you care about 200 plus mile racing which i know is weird for me to say as like a fan of you know, 24 hour racing and big backyard, that sort of stuff. But like, I I don't 200 mile trail races, 250 mile trail races. Well, you know, it's it's hard for me to care right now. They're an
1: outlier of the sport, but they're, they're, they're sort of coming into the fold a little bit more, a little bit more interesting. I mean, with this coverage that they're doing and the, the kind of level of races they have, I mean, they had some really good names at this race, you know? Um, Yeah. It's exciting to follow. I mean, is it, kind of like you know the western states and utmbs right now no but it's still it's still an interesting aspect of the sport and i think people you know as the sport develops people are looking for ways to kind of push what they can do i mean a lot of people have run 100 mile and they're kind of looking for new challenges i mean i think it's great that there are options beyond the 100 miler out there for people
0: sure sure and look and i i love bigs and i hope to run over 200 miles at bigs one day or or at a backyard um I, i i don't i don't question its value from that perspective. But as a fan, it's, it's hard for me to give it the same kind of attention that I do to most of the other types of races that we talk about. I mean, it, I, it lacks the historical context for me. I, I don't know what's a good performance and what's not a good performance, which isn't a be all and end all of everything. But, you know, we talk about like, it's always fun as fans to put what we're seeing into historical context and to, you know, frankly, to see the best competitors, you know, going against each other. There's no history of this sort of thing. I, I you know, what would Scott Jerk have done at at 200 miles on the trail? What would Ann Trayson have done? Who knows? Who um, knows? The
1: sport's evolving and developing. We'll we'll never yeah, know. So I'm not I'm you not know.
0: saying I'm not saying it's bad. Like the growth is great. Yeah. But you know, and, and and yes, they're getting some good runners. I mean, Maggie obviously is is a is a total beast. Um, but you know, where it's not getting Jim, it's not getting Jared Hazen it's not getting Tim Tolleson, it's not getting Matt Daniels, it's, and that's not happening anytime soon. You know. And, and if, if Courtney didn't run these sorts of things, then, and, you know, this was Maggie's first one, I'm sure she'll do others, but, you know, with all due respect to Maggie, she's not Courtney. Courtney didn't run these things, and, uh, you know, uh, Amanda Basham isn't running them, uh, you know, Claire, Claire Gallagher isn't running them, uh, Beth Pascal isn't running them. And, and, again, that's not to devalue them as experiences and as races and as challenges and that sort of thing. But as, as an ultra-running fan... I just find it hard to get that excited about them yet. And maybe that changes in a few years when we do get some historical context and when some of the bigger names do, and, and when some people have built careers off of this sort of thing, like Michael McKnight, uh, who <laughs> I, hope I hope he's feeling well, um, having yeah. this race put him in the hospital. Mm. Uh, you know, John Kelly has done amazing things over stuff like this. And, you know, yeah. that, that Pennine Way race uh, mm-hmm. was amazing. Now, the Pennine Way race, I, I'm calling it the pen. You know, the spine race. <laughs> spine sorry. race, yeah. Um, that does have historical context, right? right? Yep. I I don't know who all those people are or anything like that, but at least that race has been around for a long time, and and I can understand what that. I mean, that trail has been run for years and years and years, and and, and so I can understand how it's on a classic hiking are. trail. Exactly, yeah, so it's exactly. a little different. So uh, you know, that's a little different from right. Uh, you know running across Sedona and and, I mean, which is, I I mean, I think something like
1: Cocodona 250 though, is like, there's a lot of people like to take part and watch this stuff because they like pushing the edge of human endurance. They love the scenery. They love the kind of crowd around this. I think it has a, you know, a nice kind of space in our sport. Yeah. But is it, it, you know, it's like, is it the main part of our sport? Not right now, but like things are kind of going this way. I mean, you know, how many f- 200 mile races did we have five years ago, six years ago? Not very many. Sure. You know, these things are now starting to kind of pop up on the radar. Right. Um, so, right. M- so and maybe this And will only be... gain historical context in the years to come. That's so, right. So, right. so, so maybe you have ten to start years from somewhere. Now it's different. And, yeah. right. You have to start somewhere. It's just. You'll um, run it like four times in like 10 years. You'll be like, oh, we got to go back to coca K- is It's the best <laughs> thing that's ever happened. Camille will be crewing you. It'll be fantastic. You'll have an Iron Man tattoo. It's going to be just like, just the sport's going to develop so nicely. You're covered in Iron Man tattoos, <laughs> drinking beer with Camille. <laughs> Let's talk about strolling gym. Okay. I got to yeah, be a, bit, yeah. I got a of oh, think sure. for strolling gym. Talking, yeah. about classic, talking about classic races with historical yeah, context. With historical context, we segued nicely into that one. Um, and I do remember the strolling gym course because when I was in Vol State, they said only follow the first few markers because it's marked on the road. Still, you know, they keep them there. Sure. Don't don't take the or you're gonna do a forty mile loop and end up back in <laughs> walt race and then still have to run. So you're gonna end up with like uh you know a three hundred and seventy mile, oh. three hundred and fifty mile uh, run through Tennessee. But uh, yeah, Zach Bevan breaking the course record there. Um absolutely hammer time. Three fifty-five was his time for a forty-one mile. Road run beating the ninety-one record of Andy Jones three fifty-nine. So yeah, mega impressive run from him. Yeah, twenty-six-year-old uh, guy. He's obviously got some some fast running legs on him. Andy and, Jones, uh, a
0: great road marathoner yeah. and road ultra runner. Yeah, I mean Andy, it's it's you know, mega as impressive by the fact that that's a thirty-year-old record. Yeah. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. No, that's. Uh, that is very impressive. I mean, he won by, uh, I think it was about an hour, something like that. Uh, women's race was won by Melissa Sermon. Uh, I think she did 521. Um, and that was tight, that race. I think it was only a couple of minutes between the second and third place. So, so
0: that was cool. But uh, yeah, impressive, impressive record. I wish that race got a little bit more attention nationally that's just it's just a great i mean it's you know it's laz's most traditional race and yet yeah. it doesn't yep. have some weird gimmick to it although maybe it does but uh yeah. you know it is just a classic road ultra that has been around forever and has seen some great runners and great performances and it would be nice if if that one got a little bit more recognition yeah but yeah no great i mean zach bevan wow uh, yeah normally you if you're under five hours you're competing for the win um you know yeah, god can you huge. imagine running like a 445 40 plus miler and being an hour behind <laughs>
1: yeah that would be kind of depressing right Jeez. so yeah good for him i think his average was uh like 548 or something like that per mile it's impressive for 41 miles yeah and it's pretty hilly i mean there's oh, some yeah, hills no, on that thing i mean i can tell you thing. i I did climbed out a wall race and it was a little tiring you know yeah yeah um, so yeah good for him very
0: nice all right well Last race I think we wanted to just mention quickly was there was a, a last chance uh, meet for, for the 24 hour qualification for the US, the Alexander County 24 hour. And yep. um, a few names did come out to try to you know see if they could either sneak a last minute spot on the US team for the world championships or some people were there actually to kind of defend their, their spots. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, some good racing. You know, Bob Hearn was there, our good friend, trying to trying to get a spot, see if he could work his way onto the spot. Needed, I mean, it's gotten really. I mean, he needed 155 miles just to it's sneak hard, that sixth really spot hard. at this yeah. point. I mean, that's that's really tough. Uh, and was you know he was pacing well as Bob is wont to do, but uh, he had some struggles with um, energy levels and maybe his stomach or something that that I was reading. Yeah, he but didn't
1: he didn't have a good day.
0: He still broke two uh world records have uh, world age group records, age group records yeah uh for i think the the 12 hour and the 100 mile for uh yes, 50 that's to, 55 right. to 59 yep and then uh when it became clear i think that he wasn't going to make any other of his benchmarks or, or make the the national team uh, i think he pulled the plug at about 18 hours nick cory who we just keep talking about as one of kind the smartest of, racers out there yeah. who was on the team and i guess they're defending his spot went out and you know Ran a conservative race and paced with Bob early, and just basically mowed his way through a field of some uh, some faster starters, and you know wound up with an easy win there.
1: One hundred and forty eight miles, you know, and really didn't have any kind of pressure. I mean, pretty impressive. Him fifteen miles, I think. Now,
0: I I I was kind of surprised. You know, I think it was Eric Sensman was on uh, Debo's podcast, and they were mentioning Nick and his performances, kind of come from behind performance at Black Canyon's, where he almost ran his way up onto, he ran his way up onto the podium and nearly into a a golden ticket. Yeah. And I can't remember if it was Eric or Debo who was saying that Nick's philosophy of racing was if he kind of starts slower and, and kind of runs his way up through the field, it's a little bit less stress on his system than going out and hammering from the front at the beginning. And while he maybe doesn't, you know, misses some opportunities to put himself in position to win, it allows him to you know, remain a little healthier and re- be able to stay more consistent with his training and not have to just build back from these just gutting efforts yeah. as if he was going out too hard and hanging on. That's kind of body damage, right? Right. Which is a, a great philosophy. And I, 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 like it. My question is once, once it was clear that, uh, he was going to run 140 plus miles and nobody was going to get his spot, which he was there, quote unquote, defending on the team. And uh, nobody was going to catch him. Why did he keep going if if this is, like, wh- what what was 148 miles? What was the point of that as opposed to 135 and, and yeah. winning the race? And-
1: hard to know, but maybe he doesn't have anything coming up for a while. And he was just like, just finish this out, like, make it a solid, like, medium kind of hard effort. Right. And, uh, you know, don't have anything for a few months, so just kind of round out my my race with like a decent kind of solid finish and like 148 under no pressure really it's pretty good oh yeah i mean that's like it's
0: impressive yeah oh for sure very impressive i i was just surprised i guess but uh yeah so no no new members of the uh national team on i think either side for the men Not, or the women right they stayed stayed as is Yeah. Uh, Whitney Richmond was there. I think, uh, again, you know, quote unquote, defending her spot, you know, trying to, it's an interesting way, you know, it's interesting how these people who are on the team kind of show up and are are just like, well, I got to put myself in position to make sure, you know, if if there's a chance that they might get bumped, I got to put myself in position to put up another number. Uh, Same thing for Jacob Moss, who I think was was pretty safe. I don't don't know if he was there necessarily to, because he was nervous, because I I think he was in Mm. fourth position. Right. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know that he really thought that three people were going to maybe bump him, but he was he was there anyway, and was he he pushed the pace from the get go. He went off hard, yeah, uh, and uh, I think quit about uh, twelve hours in or so. Yep. And, and Whitney I think had some some Achilles issues or something, right. and had to had to stop and not risk injury. So, um, no huge performances on on either side. I, I mean, other than the one forty eight of of Jim, of uh, Nick which I think was the only one that even hit the, the minimums for either team. Mm. But uh, yeah, and, that, and it sounded like it got hot there as well, or at least hotter than they had anticipated yeah. getting into the low 70s and, and causing some issues there. But yeah, no, so we do have our, our national teams for the world championships for both the men and the women. No changes there after Alexander County. For the women, we have—I mean, both teams going to be the defending their gold medals from two years ago. Uh, the defending women's champ, obviously, Camille Heron is going to be back. Uh, Courtney, again, uh, is going to be on the team. Marisa Lizak and Micah Morgan, who we spoke about earlier, Whitney Richmond, and the great Pam Smith. Uh, yeah, gonna it's a solid return team. As well. great really, team. really good team. Really good team. I think that's, uh, you know, Pam, Camille, and Courtney— all, and, and Micah, I think, all back from the, the championship team of 2019. Marissa and Whitney, I think, will be new additions. Uh, for the men, Olivier LeBlanc, uh, who has been the, the premier 24-hour racer in the U.S. over the past five-plus years, uh, going to be back uh, defending his podium spot at Worlds. Nick Corey, I think, his first 24-hour national team. Jake, yeah. uh, Jake Jackson and Harvey Lewis, both uh, 24-hour team veterans and returners. Uh, Jacob Moss, who we spoke about, and Ryan Montgomery. So that is the that is going to be the team for the World Championships in Romania later this year. Both great teams. Both will have excellent chances to defend their titles. I think.
1: Yep, should be should be pretty exciting, and I'm sure we'll get some good coverage of it as well. The way things are going
0: these days. Yeah, look, I mean, let's let's end this on a positive note and say that. It has been really exciting to follow this sport over the past several weeks between the coverage yeah. that we had at, at, Cocodona, at Racing at Black Canyon, uh, you know, at at even, you know, this this these updates we were getting from Jackpot and from these 24 yeah. hours on social media. It, it's it been it's been fun. And, yep. you know, let's be positive in 2021. Let's look on the bright side and let's say that uh, let's embrace our new triathlete overlords. <laughs>
1: I was going to say, I mean, since we've been vaccinated, I mean, my vaccine was sponsored by Iron Man. So (laughs) they're probably tracking me. Yeah, Uh, all good. I mean, uh, no free ads, Phil. Yeah, don't uh, (laughs) don't talk about Iron Man. Their lawyers are going to be after you.
0: (laughs) All right. That should just about do it for this episode of The Pain Cave. Thanks to everyone for joining us. We will be back for another episode of this month in ultra running probably before Western States to do our big blowout Western States preview but we'll be back even before then with some very cool guests coming up in the next couple of weeks so stay tuned for that thanks everyone for listening and until next time in the pain cave keep putting one foot in front of the other
1: broken down and beaten up the years have been long enough but I'm not dead
0: happy now just to spend time with friends and have a roof above my head. I'm not faded, just been faded like a good old pair of jeans. Rusted like a proud old car, just drove a little too far and seen too much rain. But long ago as a child, I looked about it. the bus, feel upset to think of all the years I'd have to go through there I was still young,
1: I was still young.